This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Tonight insha'Allah we continue the journey with our Prophet Nuh عليه السلام We continue the journey with Prophet Nuh عليه السلام in a time where only a very small amount of people had believed in him. Our scholars differ on how many actually believed in him. He called for 950 years. How many years? 950. We look at 60 years as a long time. 70 years. 950 years. And in that time there was people still being born. So generations, generations were coming into and leaving Nuh salam's time. <clears throat> Such a long time actually for da'wah. Now obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives this struggle to the prophets because the prophets can handle it. The prophets of Allah their connection with Allah is different to ours. Different in the sense that they are closer to Him. And because they receive inspiration and wahi, they see Jibreel a bit more signs have been shown to them. Their connections are usually stronger than ours. But at the same time, when they do a wrong thing, to us it may seem small, very small. But to Allah, their sin is bigger than ours. And their punishment is bigger than ours. And you will see today, tonight, insha'Allah, one very small error Nuh alayhi salam did, and we listened to Allah's reply to him. But at this moment, 950 years of calling to the people. The scholars differ, as I said. When I mean the scholars, I meant the companions of the Prophet wasallam, as they heard it from him. Some assumed that it was 80 people. And this is the majority. Unanimously they agree about 80 people believed in Nuh alayhi salam in 950 years. But there are other opinions. Some say 73. Others say 100. Maybe a little bit more than that, but not much more. On average, 80. 80 people. Contrast that to one of us. This is a lesson yani, to us, insha'Allah, to be patient when we give da'wah. Da'wah means inviting people to Islam, whether they are, obviously da'wah means to people who are not Muslim, inviting them into Islam. To Muslims, it's reminding. Allah says, remind, the reminder benefits the believers. Whereas da'wah, inviting, you've got to start from scratch, from the beginning. We have to be patient in both ways. Contrast that to people who enter, alhamdulillah, 
either repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or they start new in the deen, some people, they forget that in the many years that had passed, they were astray and that if someone came to remind them about the deen, they would burst at them or they would try to avoid them. They forget that when they used to be called to a dars or an Islamic event or some kind of event that will remind them of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they would try their utmost ability to make excuses and avoid it because they didn't want to feel the blame. They didn't want to feel guilty. They didn't want to change yet because they want to enjoy what they're doing for now. A person who enters into the deen or repents to Allah or likes to invite others or call his own family, for example, to become better Muslims, should exercise extreme patience. What is patience? Patience means you continue doing what you're doing. You avoid them when they harm you. You defend yourself if they attack you. That's okay. But what we mean by patience is you don't give up. And you don't use abusive words. And you try your best not to show them words, not to judge them. Keep it to yourself. Or to say, you're going to hellfire. Or you're not going to be forgiven. You don't deserve to be forgiven. You people. Or talk with disgust. This is a wrong form of da'wah. You've given up already. You've given up already. And I've heard of people... Yani, inshallah, I know that inshallah, yani, their intention is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they didn't follow the method of the prophets. And this is a result of ignorance. So I advise people who start in the deen or repent to Allah to learn the methods of the prophets. Allah says to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the following. Qul, a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. قل هذه سبيلي أدعو إلى الله على بصيرة أنا ومن اتبعني. Say to the people, this is my clear path. I call to it with clear sightedness and clarity. I and whoever follows me. Meaning, we should follow the methods of the prophets and the messengers. <clears throat> so be patient in your call. So Nuh alayhi salam invited, 80 people embraced. Now, here is something very important to note, extremely important. Who were these 80 people? What were their backgrounds? What were their positions and status in the community or in society? You will find that every single one of them as Allah mentions them in the Qur'an, describes them in the Qur'an, by the way, not from, I'm not saying it from my head. Allah describes them in the Qur'an that they were people who weren't very important in the society. What do I mean by that? They weren't popular people. They weren't famous people. They weren't people who had high positions, such as the chief of a, of a tribe, or the leader of a, of a, of a nation, or a doctor, a PhD, or, a, or an engineer, for example, or a famous singer, or a famous actor, or some kind of figure. They were, they were merely farmers, simple people. They would call them primitive people. 
And when they heard the, the religion, and when they heard the da'wah of Nuh alayhi salam, they did not hesitate to accept. They did not hesitate to accept. They actually accepted it very quickly. And they stayed at 80 almost, or whatever the number was within that. So when Nuh alayhi salam began to give da'wah to the others, who were the chiefs and the big men and the big people and the hotshots and all that, and you know, what happened? They replied to him, we will not believe in you. You're a madman. You're a crazy man. And anyway, look at who has followed you. This is in the Quran. We cannot see anyone has followed you except the, the most inferior among us in society. And who are they? They've got no position. Who are they to us? They're inferior to us. They just take very simple words without thinking about it. No, logical, no logic to them. They just, anything you say to them, they believe it. Ah. Oh. You know, what they're trying to say is the type that believe in fairies, in fairy tales. Put a tooth under your pillow, the next morning you'll find a coin. This is what they, they were trying to say. This is the type of people they were, like children. This is how they saw them. But contrary to that, opposite to that, Allah saw them quite the opposite. He saw those ones inferior and these ones superior. Why? When the truth comes, brothers and sisters, the truth has a description. How do you know the truth from false? The truth is clear. Number one, the truth is very clear. The truth is powerful. It, can, it takes you five minutes or less to accept the truth. Ask if you know of people who converted to Islam, I know many of them. Those who sincerely converted to Islam. The majority of them, I'm not going to say every single one of them, but the majority of them, they will tell you a common trend. When they first came into Islam, people told them about Islam. They heard it from here, heard it from there. But, you know. but as soon as they read the Quran with an open mind and open heart, they say this to you. They say, whether I embraced Islam a year later or two years later or quickly or whatever, I'll tell you one thing, they say. It takes you five minutes or less to know that this is the truth. It takes you five minutes or less to know that this is the truth. And that, wallahi, that's true. For those who with an open heart, without any preconceived notions and media rubbish that they put into their heads and you know, arrogance, they get rid of all of that. And they read the Quran, and they find the Quran reads them. The Quran is repetitive all the time talks in different ways to you and reads you, tells you what you are. It says it takes five minutes to know this is the truth. That's it. But things prevent you from accepting it. But in your heart you know it is. I have met numerous people who converted or were Muslim always, but they didn't know their deen. And with a bit of understanding of language, they read the Quran and subhanAllah. In any language, they say it took me five minutes to realize this is not from earth. The truth is clear, brothers and sisters. That's, that's the description of truth. You can tell. We can tell in our human intuition, you know, inside of us, you see someone coming, talking to you, look at him. You see something's wrong with their eyes. The way they move, the way they've told you, the shivering. There are people who are experts in this. And you have a doubt. I don't know if this is telling the truth or not. The truth is clear. You know it when you see it, when you hear it. And the Quran and Islam is like that. So these people whom they called inferior, 
primitive minded like children they were deliberately calling him out of arrogance and proudiness why? these people they didn't want the truth because the truth will make them equal to the farmers and to all the others when I mean farmers today farmers are important but in those days when he said farmer it means he's just primitive doesn't have any education today farmers are quite educated actually especially agriculturists very educated but just contrasting, letting you know what they were thinking. It's like saying today, this is actually about nationalism, racism, and all those other isms, where people see themselves superior to someone else. Allah says in the Quran, which means O oh people we have created you from a single pair of a male and female and made you into nations and tribes so that you may come to know one another the most honored among you indeed are the ones who are most righteous again there are people who when you say to them Advising them in a brotherly way, you say, brother or sister, you know, and remember to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of them reply by saying, Why? Why me? You fear Allah. Why are you telling me? What have I done? Allah says in the Quran, When it's said to him or her, Fear Allah, they begin to fill up with boastfulness and, and proudiness. This is, this is kibriya, proudiness. This is haram. This is one of the major sins. Shirk, actually. Or you say to someone, Allah yahdik, may Allah guide you. I say, why, what have I done? Allah yahdik you, may Allah guide you. Sometimes they get proud of us in that sense. Nationalities. I know of when, for example, if a Turkish imam is speaking, knowledgeable and educated, you know, to say, I'm an Arab, I don't listen to a Turk. This is proudness. Why? You listen to the truth. You're not listening to the Turk, you listen to the truth. Or the Turkish says, he is an Arab. I don't listen to Arabs. Why are you not listening to the Arabs? Listen to the truth. If it is the truth, take it. If it's not the truth, don't take it. Halas. End of story. Sorry to use Turkish and Arabic because I'm an Arab and I know a lot of Turks here. So we use that as an example. Don't get offended, please, anyone. I'm not talking about race or nationality here. I'm talking about nationalism and racism. That it is not my choice to be born in the Arab as an Arab. It's not your choice to be born as a Turk or a Pakistani, or an Indian, or a European, or anything. British, or American, Chinese, it's not your choice. Similarly, it's not your choice to be born as a male or a female, or a rich family or a poor family. You are brought in here by the choice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So therefore, Allah says, لا فرق لعربين على أعجمين or the Prophet ﷺ said, sorry, لا فرق لعربين على أعجمين إلا بالتقوى. There is no difference between an Arab and a non-Arab except in piety, in righteousness. Now, we have a second problem. Okay, in righteousness. So we don't want to have people coming up and saying, I'm better than you because I'm more righteous. Or because I go to the masjid, I'm better than everyone else. Or because I donated $100 the other day, I feel I'm on top of the world. Everyone else is below me. Or because I think I'm on the right path, everyone else is on the wrong path. This sectarian type of thinking. I belong to this organization. Every other organization is erred, is wrong. 
And so you see, we don't, you don't want to see backbiting, stabbing. Even the companions of the Prophet ﷺ differed on certain things. But they never differed on the aqidah, on the belief of Allah. They never had shirk, it was little issues. But, in righteousness, husband and wife, husband can't say to his wife, I deserve paradise more than you. Wife says, what have you done? I serve my children every day. I'm going to paradise before you. God loves me more. You ever heard that statement? God must love me? Well, that's a wrong statement. How do you know if Allah loves you or hates you? Inshallah, He does. Allah tells us that His name is Ar-Rahim. He is the most merciful. Yes, He loves all His creatures. But how am I so certain that it is me superior to you? That Allah loves me more than you, for example. Only Allah knows. There was a time where the Prophet ﷺ was sitting, this hadith is in Bukhari by the way, was sitting and uh, a man who looked quite important, dressed well, well-groomed horse. You know, I'm taking you back to the others. It's like today saying you're driving the, the newest BMW of the most expensive type and you've got the most expensive suit and the most expensive watch. You look important, right? Like that. This man was passing by. Entrepreneur. And he said to his companions, what do you think of a man who looks like this? Of a man who looks like this. So it's not the point of this man. And they said, Allah ya Rasulullah. We think that a man like this, if he enters any home and asks for their daughter, they'll say yes immediately. If anyone comes to him to help them to intercede, they like connections, they'll get their way and so on. Like he's an important man. Everybody would, would love him and, and, and work for him and do things for him and so on and so forth. Then another man came past and he was wearing raggedly, hard-working, sweating. He looked like a hard-working person, like a laborer. And they said, what do you think of a person who looks like this? They said, Allah, Ya Rasulullah, a person looks like this, we think. He enters any house, they ask for a daughter, they'll shun him away. Find it hard to get married. Because they'll look at him and say, who's this? Anyone who comes to him to, for connections to intercede with someone else, it won't work. They won't be successful. He's the last to go to. Rasul sallallahu did not comment on the first man, but he said on the first, on this, in this hadith, he said to this man, he said to them, how do you know this man who looks ragged and dusty dusty because he's hard working not that he's unclean he's hard working because that's how he survives that's all he can do if he were to ask Allah and plead to Allah in his name or swear an oath by Allah about anything Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will respond to him immediately. Abarra. Birr is more than just responding. Allah will more than just respond. La abarra, meaning he'll respond and he will love to respond to him. He'll give him extra. He'll give him more than just responding to his dua. La abarra. He'll give him and more on top of it. So no Muslim, this mentality should not exist in the hearts and minds of any Muslim. Because this is the practice of the people whom Allah destroyed before. Destroyed with His natural disasters. So they said to Him, the primitive-minded, inferior people to us have followed you. Why should we follow you? In another verse, they were telling Him, as other 
people told their prophets later on as well. Same, same tune, same sound. Right? They're on the same melody, all of them, no matter what they worshipped, all same melody. Al-Kufr Milla Wahid, as our scholars say, disbelief is all just one. They're all the same, no matter what they, whether they're atheist or if they're Christian or Jew or whatever, they're on the same pathway. Once you know the truth and you reject it, you're the same as everyone else. Why reject the truth? Admit the truth, take it and, and go with it. If it's false, false. Same malady. They said to him, if you get rid of these inferior people who are primitive minded, we'll think of following you. We'll think. So what are these people actually asking here? They're not after the truth. They're after fame. They're after popularity. They're after status. Status, the seat, the position. And this is hypocrisy in its absolute meaning. Well, it is part of the absolute meaning. Where a person wants to look like something that they are not. And they refuse to mix with others who will make them look in the eyes of other people something else, inferior. This in Islam does not exist. Rasul Muhammad for those of us who study his character, they say, if delegates from, like big delegates, like ambassadors from countries came to see the Messenger وسلم, non-Muslims came to see him, to talk to him with a message, they could not find him amongst us. They couldn't tell who he was. He's there, they don't know which one it is. You know why? He said, Wallahi. They said, he dressed like us, looked like us, and even some of us looked even, looked on the outside superior than him, by the way we dressed. As if we had a high position or something. But he used to sit amongst us. If he wasn't talking to us, advising us, he'd be sitting amongst us, like you here. Imagine now an imam, big imam, coming in here, no one knows him, just sits among you. And me, I'm talking to you thinking he's come to learn something from me. Like that. But he's not. He's a bigger imam than me. Rasul came in, he was sitting among the people. They knew who he was. But if a stranger came in, they wouldn't know who he was. He was like everyone else, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Never ever, ever saw himself bigger than anyone else. Ever. Even though he could have. They offered him. Quraysh offered him. You know the story. They said to his uncle Abu Talib, What does he want? Let him stop this call. You know, what's he after? If he wants women, we'll give him women. We'll give him all the women of Medina. If he wants money, we'll make him the richest. If he wants the position, we'll make him our king. And just tell him to stop this word. It's, 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 it's embarrassing us. It's humiliating us. And he said to his uncle, in private, because uncle went to him to talk to him, and he said to him, Ya Am, uncle, Wallahi la wada'u al-shamsa bi-yameeni wal-qamara bi-yasari. Uncle, let them understand this. Wallahi, by God, if they had control of the sun and they placed it in my right hand to control the world, the universe, and they had the moon in their control and they gave it to me in my left and I controlled the universe with the sun and the moon, to leave this matter, I will not leave it. Tell them I will not stop. What, what does he, we are not after position and status. There is one more before I continue this story about Nuh salam. One more incident I think is a good lesson here. Have you heard of the blind man at the time of the Prophet This blind man is mentioned in Surah Abasa. What happened was, Rasul was inviting people. 
and he focused his attention to the leaders of Quraysh, the important men, because he thought to himself, this is his, his intelligent guess, that if he can attract the big men, then the people under, because he knew the Arab style, that they follow the bigger people, right? If he attracted them, then the others will take example of these big men and they'll say, wow, if they listen to him, he must be on the truth. So we'll follow as well. That's what he thought, sallallahu alayhi wa But in fact, that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. So there was this blind man who used to come and he used to hear the Prophet's voice. He loved what he said. And so he would always try to come to talk to the Messenger. But he would not get the chance. One day, Rasul was talking to a group of the leaders. And he was trying his best to keep his attention with the leaders. And the blind man came along. And he interfered and cut off the Prophet ﷺ speech. Like he, he, he cut him off and said, Ya Muhammad, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet ﷺ turned away from him, tried to avoid him. The man can't see him, but the Prophet ﷺ is moving away, trying to talk to the people. He doesn't want any disturbance right now. And the blind man, he got no response from the Prophet ﷺ. So he walked away very upset inside. So why, what have I, have I done to something to the messenger? So he went home and he was upset and his wife was trying to calm him down and make him feel good. The next day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the surah. He frowned and turned away. About who? About Muhammad sallallahu alayhi As soon as the blind man came to him. And what, how would you know? Maybe he will benefit more than the people you're talking to. Or maybe the reminders that you give him will benefit him in some way as well and benefit others. And then Allah keeps going, reprimanding the Prophet ﷺ, telling him, you shouldn't have done that. How do you know? It's a heavy reminder to the Prophet ﷺ, the Habib of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Allah is the God of truth. Even if he's the messenger of God. Truth is the truth. He says, if this messenger were to make up any word that we didn't tell him, we would cut off his jugular vein and we would strangle him until he can no longer breathe and he dies and none of you can prevent us from him. Severe warning to the messenger of saying, if he were to make up anything we said, we'll cut off his air supply and make him die instantly. And no one of you can prevent us. Even the messenger the truth is the truth. So when the verse came down, Rasul went searching for the blind man. He entered his house, knocked, and he said, who? The messenger of God. He entered it, and the Prophet said, I welcome you today, the best day that has ever happened to you since your mother gave birth to you. Allah has sent down a verse in your matter. And ever since then, every time the Prophet ﷺ saw the blind man, he would say to him, Marhaban billadhi Welcome to the man whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me an admonishing reminder because of you. He admitted, sallallahu his fault. Because it's the truth. So these are some of the lessons we learn from how the people of Nuh responded to him. Rasul also praises the people who accept the truth immediately. And he praises 
his best friend Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. He says, مَا دَعَوْتُ أَحَدًا إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ إِلَّا كَانَتْ لَهُ كَبْوَةٌ غَيْرَ أَبِي بَكْرٍ فَإِنَّهُ لَمْ يَتَلَعْثَمْ He said, I did not call anyone to Islam, but he had stumbled, meaning he had a bit of doubt or he thought about it, or except for Abu Bakr, he never faltered. Lam yatalatham is more than just faltered. He didn't even, without a tiny pitch, a tiny, even a little bit, he did not hesitate whatsoever. Straight away, among the men, among the men. And Khadija radiallahu anha, among the women. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did not even twitch. He accepted it immediately. He said, if I told you I am the messenger of God, do you believe me? He said, I do not have a single doubt. Like that. Just came up to him suddenly and he said, single doubt. And extra to that, one day, he said, tonight I was taken from Mecca to Al-Aqsa, to Jerusalem in one night. And I was ascended to the heavens and came back in one night. Takes you a four or five months journey. To get there. In one night, people called him crazy. They came to Abu Bakr and they said, huh, Now, Ya Abu Bakr, listen to what your friend is saying. Now we got you. He reckons he went in one night to Jerusalem and came back. What did Abu Bakr anhu reply? He looked at them and he said, In qala dhalika fahuwa sadiq. Or sadaq. If he really did say that, then he has spoken the truth. I believe him. He has never lied. So the truth is the truth. It is known from falsehood. Allah says, the clear truth is clear from the false. It's very clear. You just have to open your heart and get rid of the arrogance and proudness. Now that this had happened, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down a verse. وَأُوحِيَ إِلَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said to Nuh alayhi salam, he said, and it was inspired, sent to Nuh alayhi salam, أَنَّهُ لَنْ يُؤْمِنَ مِنْ قَوْمِكَ إِلَّا مَنْ آمَنْ No more of your people shall believe in you other than those who have already believed. So grieve no longer at their misdeeds. Don't, don't feel sorry for them. What does this mean? Allah told him that I, am, I know no one is going to believe anymore. That's it. Whatever has believed, that's it. You know, no matter how, if you tried for another thousand years, that's it. No, well, no one else is going to believe. And among those who disbelieved in Nuh salam was his own son who was said to be named Yam. Yam. And another narration, some scholars uh, believe uh, that his name was also Kenan. Kenan. So now Nuh alayhi salam gave up hope. Before anyone says anything, why did he give up hope? He did not give up hope because he doesn't want to give da'wah anymore. No. Because Allah had told him that no one else is going to believe. That's it. There's a, that's the truth. means there is no more other space. It came from Allah. Since that's the case, Nuh alayhi salam in his wisdom and intelligence, intelligent guess, he said, well then, there's no use for all these hypocrites, these, hip- the, the, these mushrikeen, these idol worshippers to remain on earth. If they stay, they're going to delude their children and their children's children. And they're going to fill the earth with corruption 
and malice and all of that stuff. So then he made his famous dua. وَقَالَ نُوحٌ رَبِّ لَا تَذَرْ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ دَيَّارًا إِنَّكَ إِن تَذَرْهُمْ يُضِلُّوا عِبَادَكَ وَلَا يَلِدُوا إِلَّا فَاجِرًا كَفَّارًا رَبِّ اغْفِرْ لِي وَلِوَالِدَيَّ وَلِمَنْ دخل بيتي مؤمنا وللمؤمنين والمؤمنات ولا تزد الظالمين إلا تبارا which means Nuh alayhi salam said O oh my Lord do not leave a single disbeliever on the face of the earth again don't leave them alive if you leave them alive on the face of the earth they will lead your servants astray. And they will not give birth to anyone except arrogant, boastful disbelievers. You see, there are disbelievers, but they're not very arrogant. When they know Islam, they believe. But the type of people Nuh had after 950 years, not only did they develop disbelief, this was not just normal disbelief. This was arrogant, boastful Challenging disbelief of all, knowing the truth. Oh my Lord, he said, forgive me and my family. This is what you say towards the, yani, you know, the end of every day, the end of every act, the end of your life. It's all about forgiveness. Oh my Lord, forgive me. If you do work, at the end of your work, make this dua. Oh Allah, forgive me and my family. You wake up from bed, oh Allah, forgive me. At the end of your day, Allah, forgive me. After the prayer, Allah, forgive me. I have any work that you do, an assignment or something, at the end of it, brothers and sisters, constantly ask Allah for his forgiveness. Forgiveness is used in Islam also at the times when it's the end of things. So you want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with everything clean. So forgiveness. So Nuh basically is saying, Oh my Lord, this is the end. Since I have asked you, I know I'm a prophet. The dua of a prophet is never rejected unless it's wrong, but obviously it's not wrong. And so now he's making istighfar. Forgive me and my family. And anyone who enters my house, a believer. And this is a lesson for us to show us that the guests are extremely valuable, extremely important. You have a guest highly regarded in Islam. Especially if they are believers. Anyone who entered my house, a believer, forgive them. And, and forgive the believers, men and women. Another lesson here as the Prophet Muhammad told us, any mu'min who makes dua, ask God for help or for things for any other believers, men, and, men or women, then for every single believer on the face of the earth, like if you say, Oh Allah, forgive the believers, men and women. Then for every believer on the face of the earth, Allah gives you a reward on their behalf. And an angel stands behind you and says, Oh Allah, and give this person the same as what he is asking for them. So you get the angels making dua for you while you make dua for others. Isn't that amazing? So this is Nuh alayhi salam and our compassion towards one another. وَلَا الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا And do not increase the criminals and the oppressors anything but more grief. So now the famous ark was being ordered to be built. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, 
And it was revealed to Nuh that no more will believe except those who have disbelieved, those who have believed. Then he said to him, Very well. Ya Nuh, I've responded. I order you to go and construct an ark under my under our eyes and as our revelation and address me no further on behalf of those who have been unjust, they shall be drowned in the flood. That's it. It means you've said your dua, there's no turning back. I'm going to go for it. Construct your ark under our eyes, meaning under our protection, under our guidance, under our safety. Meaning, our is the royal word used, Allah. And our revelation, meaning I'm going to send Jibreel to you and he's going to teach you how you're going to build the ark. He's going to teach you how to do it and what you're going to have to do, what are the signs, when you have to get onto it and how you should sail. Allah says, and Nuh called, called to us, and how excellent were we to answer the prayer. Meaning Allah responded fully to the full meaning of his dua. And we rescued him and his family from the grievous distress. Allah, or Nuh had asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save him and his family and the believers. Allah promised him that he will save him and his family and the believers. But he said, except those who disbelieved. He made that condition. I will rescue you and your family and the believers who believed with you, except those who disbelieved. So what happened? Let's come back to that insha'Allah. But let's see how the building of the ark happened. Allah ordered Nuh to go up to a mountain. Strange. To a mountain to build the big ship <laughs> you don't build a ship up in the mountain where there's no water normally you build it close to the coast right here Allah says to Nuh go and build it in the mountain <laughs> watch what happens as a result of that and obviously there's a wisdom behind that you'll find out soon Sean. the disbelievers Allah describes how they started to mock him and make fun of him in the following way Allah says وَكُلَّمَا مَرَّ عَلَيْهِ مَلَأٌ مِّن قَوْمِهِ سَخِرُوا مِنْهِ Every time a group of people from his people came past by him and they saw him building this ark, سَخِرُوا مِنْهِ They started to tease him, mock him, make fun of him. In one narration it says, this is how it's said, they used to pass by him and say, يَا نُوح This is some of the mockery. يَا نُوح صُرْتَ نَجَّارًا بَعْدَ أَنْ كُنْتَ نَبِيًّا What? Nuh, now you're a, you're a carpenter and before you were a prophet, make up your mind for crying out loud. You're a prophet, now you're a carpenter. <laughs> we told you he's crazy. That's what they used to say. We told you he's crazy. In the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, also sahih, that the people had a tradition. Every time they had a child that was born, that child grew up with the understanding or the teaching that this man, Nuh is a crazy man, don't follow him. Nuh is not like that. But just to give you an example, you know, back in uh, when I visited Lebanon in the 90s, we, you know, up in the village, there used to be uh, this really old man who was crazy. 
You know, he's really had lost his mind. And everyone would say to the kids, you know, the kids used to say to him, hey, don't, don't go past that man over there. If you go past, he'll throw something at you or you'll see him uh, uh, urinating in public or something. Don't go past there. It's crazy. So don't like that. And this is the same way those disbelievers, those kuffar of Nuh salam, people of Nuh used to tell their children. That children used to talk like that. He's a crazy man. Allahu Akbar. This is a prophet of God. What's left for us? Be patient. Allah is to say to the Prophet Muhammad you shall hear from the people of the book and from those who disbelieve many hurtful words. Be patient with the harm that they afflict you with and rely on us. Now, it is said in one narration, now I'm not sure if this is correct or not, but it did come in the books of tafsir, I'll, I'll say it to you inshallah, that the people used to go into the ark of Nuh when he's not watching. And they used it as a toilet. Just to go there and defecate in the ark. And there was so much defecation, feces, that it was unbearable. So they say that one day Allah made a disease in the skin of these people. And they didn't know how to cure it. So one day, one man was in the ark doing what he was doing, his deed, and he slipped. <laughs> he slipped and fell on his feces. A few days later, the spots went off his skin. So they said the people started going to Noah's ark <laughs> until they cleaned it all of the feces and they wiped it on themselves so they can get cured. Now this is some of the narrations that come to us. They are narrated by our scholars, Wallahu alam of their authenticity. But the point of that is, that his people mocked him in the most ugliest and disgusting ways. That's the idea. And this is true. Nuh replied to them at this stage. Now there's no more, there's nothing between him and them. So now he's using the harsh language. He said, and this is allowed, when there is no more, that's it, enemy between you and them, khalas, enmity, and it's clear and everything. You reply in strong ways, in, in firm ways, not abusive, firm. If you're mocking us, we will soon mock you the same way you are mocking us. And you will find out soon who is truly going to be tortured. Now this is how a Muslim uses their firm words. You can realize no, there's no ugly words, no abusive words. But they're firm and they're deadly. But they're not abusive or disrespectful to any, uh, the person's uh, uh, features or description. It's just to what, their actions. He's telling them the facts is what's going to happen. So, Allah said to him, He said, Build the ark on our eye and with our revelation. So, Jibreel is to tell him how to prepare the wood. He tell him to carve the wood and make it curved so that it can sail easily and it can float. And he told him, to use nails and wood. Allah says in the Quran, And so we carried him on planks of wood and nails of steel. Or not nails of steel, nails. Allahu Alam, what kind of metal they were. But it was made beautifully. Now the companions of the Prophet, well, unanimously they agree, the majority of them agree that. The ark was huge. Some of them say it was 80 yards long. 
Some of them say a hundred. And one extreme narration says a thousand yards. But minimum 80 yards long. And they agree that it was at least 30 yards high. It was made of three stories. The first story was 10 yards high, second 10 yards, and the third 10 yards high. So big, very big ship. Huge. So it's like saying, what, like something like close to two kilometers long. Or more even. Or a little bit less. Higher than a very high building. You know, like those skyscrapers we have in the city. Very high, very tall, very big. And it took him a long time to build this ark. Up on the mountain. They go, look at him. He's building an ark on a mountain. People build it near the shore. We told you he's crazy. Then Allah told him, فَإِذَا فَارَتْ When literally tannur means oven. In those days, tannur were made out of bricks and they were hollow deep under, in the ground or just above the ground. They used it to heat up bread and fire. So no water came into it. If water came in, obviously you can't have fire. So Allah says, فَإِذَا فَارَتْ tannur When the oven floods. We said to him, Carry on board your ark from every creature a pair, just two, male and a female. This is in the Quran. In the Bible, and it, it says something different. In the Bible it says, carry 70 pairs of domestic animals and then a pair of every other animal. This contradicts the Quran, so we reject it. As the Quran says, a pair only of each creature. Every creature. Every single animal and creature was boarded onto that ship. A pair. In the second, they were in the first story. In the second story, they say it was the humans. And in the third story, were for the birds to land and stay there. Why the oven? Because it's meant to be for fire. What happened was, Allah says, فَفَتَحْنَا أَبْوَابَ السَّمَاءِ بِمَا Allah says, in Surah Al-Qamar. And so we opened up the doors of the, of the heavens. Metaphorical words. The doors of the heavens with gushing water. Munhamir is like spilling a bucket. It wasn't just rain. It was like the water that you spill from a bucket. It wasn't drops. It was all at once. The power of Allah. And we burst, exploded. Look these terms used. Exploded, bursts. Burst the earths. The earth and made holes from every part. From mountains, from valleys, from everywhere. Into... Billions of gushing fountains and waters. You know, like a dam. You know, a dam that holds water like exploding a dam. And watch how the water comes through. Like that. Like that it came out. The water of the sky and the water of the earth met together. On a divine command. In the hadith, narration says that the ark was covered from the top and from the bottom. So the water didn't fill the boat, the, 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 the ship, the ark. As the water started to come, brothers and sisters, in a matter of Yani, just only a few moments of the day, he had warned them of the flood. And they used to say to him, yeah, well, bring it on, come on. Where, where is this flood? Where is this adab? Where is this? Come on, bring it on. Where is it? It's been 950 years. You're lying. You're crazy. Like what today they must, where's this day of judgment? It's impossible. What are you talking about? When you die, you turn to death. Where's this adab? Come on, bring it. Okay, why isn't it? All right, I swear up God now. Okay, where's the thunder lightning? What happened? Nothing happened to me. 
But one day I'm going to bring you someone here, converted to Islam, he's got a remarkable story about how his gang abused him for becoming a Muslim. And he said to them, God gave you your wealth. And they, and they laughed at him mockingly that night. He goes, Wallahi, the, the following week something happened to that man. I'll let him tell his story one day, inshallah. And Allah made him lose all of his wealth. True story here in Melbourne. Part of a, a real gang. We'll bring him here, inshallah, one day. But the point is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, just wait. Why, why, are you, why are you rushing? It's going to come. I'm just giving you time. Among the people who disbelieved was his son, Yam, as we said. Now he came to the ship in the ark to watch. It is said that Nuh alayhi salam, the majority of them say that Nuh alayhi salam, he had four sons. Yam, and also Sam, Ham, and Yafith. Yam disbelieved. Sam, Ham, and Yafith believed. The majority say that they, did, they were on the ark with him. And Nuh had a wife beforehand, was the mother of Yam. She died before the flood. And he had another wife who climbed, who was the mother of Sam, Ham, and Yafith who climbed aboard. And those little bits, number of people that believed with him. Nuh looked at his son Yam, or Kenan, and he said to him, he said to him, He said, Oh my son, come, come aboard with us and don't be among the people who disbelieved. What did his son reply in arrogance? He said, He said, Dad, I'm going to go to a high mountain and it will save me from the water. What did Nuh reply? He said, today there is no protection from the law of Allah except who he has given mercy to. As they were having the conversation, Allah says right there and then, because it was quick, Suddenly the waves intercepted between them both and took his son away and he was among the ones who drowned. Immediately Nuh turned and he said, Oh my Lord, my son is part of my family. And your promise is true. And you are the most wise. Allah replied immediately to him and said to him, He said, Oh Nuh, he's not one of your family. Why? In the earlier verse, Allah said to him, I will save your family except the ones who disbelieved. So the family that I was talking about were the ones that believed, but the family of yours who disbelieved, I'm not going to save them. They're not part of it. Now it's not something to do between you and your son. This is a matter between your son and me. This is my right. And I will reward if I see fit, and I will punish if I see fit. The matter, I gave you your son. If he wronged you, different story. He wronged me. Don't get involved. And I told you before, it's the disbelievers. I'll save your family except for the disbelievers among them. Don't. Don't dare to ask me something that you have no knowledge of. Inni a'idhuka. 
I warn you, I admonish you, I advise you not to be among the ignorant. This is what we're talking about. The prophets, yes, they are rewarded more, they are patient more, but also the admonishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more. Alhamdulillah, Allah has given us mercy actually, brothers and sisters. Like some people they say, hey, we're not prophets, so we can't be like them. You know, they're prophets. But Allah has made them humans like us, really. Don't. Don't ever say that for Allah has given each one their due course. Nuh salam, what did he do? Now this is where I'm going to end this most important part. Nuh salam did not hesitate. He immediately prostrated to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and asked Allah to forgive him. Oh Allah, forgive me, he said. And this is the last lesson I want to say about this. Brothers and sisters, the sin a mu'min cannot bear staying with a sin for a long time. As soon as you hit the sin, repent immediately. Don't say tomorrow, on Monday, in a few years time when Allah guides me. What does that mean? When Allah guides me, I'll pray. Allah has already guided you. You're miskeen. You poor person. You. It's you who is not choosing to do so. So immediately repent now before tomorrow. Because Allah says, وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ مَّاذَا تَكْسِبُ غَدًا وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ مَّاذَا تَكْسِبُ غَدًا وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٍ No person knows what they're going to be doing tomorrow and no person knows in which land they are going to die. Astaghfirullah. قولوا قولي هذا Thank you for listening هذا وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا عن الحمد لله رب العالمين